everyone, this is Kate McGaw, founder and CEO of Arclight Agile. I'm a certified Scrum trainer and I'm passionate about training leadership agility. And welcome to our podcast. And I'm Ryan Smith. I'm a certified Scrum master and a certified product owner. All right. And our topic today is metrics. And we have a special guest. We have Fred Master Pasqua. Uh, hopefully, I didn't butcher that too badly, Fred. Uh, but welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself and then we will get on with the topic. Yeah, so my name's Fred Master Pasqua. You said it perfectly. I'm a certified scrum trainer. I'm also the CEO of Clearly Agile. Uh, there where we build our own products. We build products for clients. We also help our clients uh, with their transformations, uh, implementations of the agile and trying to move in that general direction, uh, as well as private training and private classes on the certified uh, scrum master track and also well as the product owner track. Excellent. Excellent. I like it. We like, we just had our big talk about certifications. We're big fans, We're big fans about people having the right education, having the right tools and, and really being professional, you know, yes. as, as I'm a big fan of, you know, scrum master is not a, an expensive luxury. We are professionals and we have a, a role in everything. So I like it. We're always yeah. happy with the folks that are, are moving us forward. But in the Scrum Master, they are top. See, and like my background's heavily in uh, business and enterprise application development. So a lot of uh, product software experience in that realm. You know. Yeah. Hence the reason he is our guest today talking about metrics, because this is what he lives and breathes with his teams. Yeah, especially as consultants. So, as consultants. And what, when, when people come to you, what do you think is the number one sort of like, what do they really ask all the time about metrics? Oh, yeah. They're important to organizations. Yes. I mean, well, the common thing. So so as consultants, we have two types of clients. We have clients where we go into their organization and help them. And then we have clients that come to us that want us to build a product for them. So it's interesting. The clients that come to us for a product, it's all about how much is it going to cost me and when are we going to be done, right? Or how long it's going to take. So that's a their metrics are a little bit different than an organization that's transforming, which is how do I know my teams are doing well and getting better? Uh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that's perfect. I mean, yeah, that's great. So Kate, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, so let, let's assume that we're talking about teams in an existing organization and I, I'm a leader and I want to know what metrics are good to see how successful my teams are. I mean, that time and time again in class, sort of, okay, well, our organization uses velocity as a metric. And I think my toes curl every time I hear that. So what, what do you suggest as an alternative to measuring velocity to see how successful teams are being? Yeah, for us, I agree with you. When someone says velocity, it's kind of a shows an under, uh, that they don't have an understanding of what that uh, metric is. That's really an internal team metric just to have an idea of, are we on track or do we need to make some changes? But that's often used to, you know, bash teams on the head or compare teams in, in, inappropriately. Uh, things we look at, we actually use a, in, um, a proprietary tool, actually, at Clearly Agile, where we will, we're looking at how well does someone follow the Scrum guide as far as framework goes. And for example, we'll use questions like, you know, how often do you have a retrospective? Always, sometimes, never, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, is your product backlog in a manager in a manageable state? Meaning mm -hmm. you don't have like a thousand items that you're trying to work towards. And so we kind of look at um, those type of metrics as far as the health of your 
your agility or the health of your Scrum framework. Uh, and we try to measure against that. And then when we make an improvement or a suggestion, we're kind of comparing to that baseline. So usually we'll create a baseline. We'll come mm -hmm. in and say, okay, here's your baseline today. You're not really doing many retrospectives. You're not, now we do look at velocity, but we're not looking at it the way they're looking at it. Mm -hmm. We're kind of looking, are you getting better over time? Kind of mm -hmm. more in that sense. Um, and then we'll create, establish that baseline, suggest some improvements, try some experiments, and then we'll compare against that baseline a few months down the road to see if we've gotten better or not. Yeah. But you're right to um, call out a specific metric. So usually mm -hmm. we'll start framework related uh, measurements. Um, do you have cross-functional team? Are you doing retrospectives? Do you do refinement? Is your product backlog refined, you know, far mm -hmm. enough out, two to three sprints out? Um, things like that. Those are the things we really try to measure. I always say that my metric is, is my product owner happy? That's, yes. that, that for me is, if I had a successful sprint, that's, that's a good indication that my product owner is going to be happy. But I've had, I'm, I'm working with a new team that company's new to Agile. We have some external dependencies. So every sprint, there's a thing or two that doesn't get done. But I know my product owner is deliriously happy talking us up throughout the org. And I say to him, I said, I'm really sorry. You know, I know these things aren't getting done. He goes, oh my God, we're so much better than we were before. He's like, mm -hmm. I'm just really over the moon. Like I, I, he's like, I talk the team up to everybody. That's my metric because it's, did we meet our commitment? Yes or no. If mm -hmm. yes, keep doing what you're doing. Let's talk about it. Maybe there's some things we can do better. If no, what happened? Yeah. Like, did we just overcommit? Did mm -hmm. Ankar get hit by a bus? Did, you know, like what, 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 what went wrong? But that is my my metric because if I have a happy product owner, I probably have happy stakeholders. So how that do goes we... back to principle number seven, right? The working software is a primary measure of progress. Like yeah. if all things, I always say that in class, if if there's only one thing you measure, it should only be whether you have a working product. And that is actually only with within our clearly agile internal teams that build on our products, that's the only thing we actually measure on our internal teams as far as are they successful or not is do you have a working product at the end of the sprint? Because if mm -hmm. you can force that real, make the team realize that's what matters, they will find a way to always make sure that happens. Yeah, and what 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 do leaders look for, um, Fred, in the in the way of metrics? What do you suggest leaders are looking at? Are you doing that? How agile are we, or how how Scrum like are we? Survey at the end of every sprint. So, or what's going on a dashboard that rolls up to the the portfolio level? If your teams have that. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, a couple of, so there's different levels of metrics that we do look at for our clients, for example. So one is at the portfolio level, we're more interested in, are we being more, has our agile processes, agile mindsets, scrum processes become, have gotten better over time? And that's something we usually look at on a quarter by quarter basis, not a sprint by sprint, because that takes time to kind of shift the needle or move, make some change. And so there about every quarter or so we'll, we'll do either a survey out to everybody on the scrum teams. Uh, we might do interviews and we're looking for, and we ask the same questions we asked kind of day one um, mm -hmm. and we're comparing the answers three months later to what they were earlier. And so that's, there's, you know, those are the questions kind of I mentioned earlier, um, but it would be something like, 
your team runs retrospectives and constantly improves the process. Do you do this uh, never, sometimes, often, or always? Right. Yeah. It's kind of it gives you your four scale, and we kind of weight the ones that are more important. Uh, mm-hmm. Your product your product um, owner has uh, is performing refinement, and you're two to three sprints ahead of the team. Again, never, often, sometimes, always, or whatever the answer is. So that's the stuff we're measuring at a higher level for mm-hmm. the portfolio team. At the team level, which also can bubble up, there are things we look at. Uh, for example, we will we will look at the number of items in the product backlog, but then by type. So how many mm-hmm. bugs do you have kind of like tech debt versus mm-hmm. client requests versus uh, regular PBIs that might be even module specific? That way, it's not a good or bad indicator. It's more of just information to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example might be, uh, if we do get, if you are doing production support and you get tickets in uh, or or issues that come in, what are those issues? Are they bugs? Are they feature requests? Are they, is it, was it an educational item for a mm-hmm. customer? And if you look at it in that way, so it's not about how much the team delivers. It's about their delivering um, to Ryan's point, right? We have a happy customer. We have a happy stakeholder. We have a working product, but now they're delivering. And then what are, what is the, uh, feedback for the issues that we're getting back and where can we address? Because if we see that we have a large amount of education items coming in in a specific area, then as the product owner, we know, okay, we need to, there's something wrong there with the user experience. People mm-hmm. are not understanding this product uh, for some reason. Or if we have a bunch of bugs in a certain area, then we know, okay, we need to kind of focus in on that. So it really mm-hmm. provides more information in the sense of what direction to go going forward. Uh, not a Not a after the fact, bash a team on the head. Hey, you got these bugs. It's more about, okay, there's a problem here. So let's address it going forward. Yeah. The other, the other one we track too is we'll track. So we do do at, you know, relative sizing, but again, it's not for the purpose of, you know, uh, trying to run the team into the ground. Uh, one of the ways we use relative sizing is we will look at the effort involved in the item the for maybe from a client request and compare that to the number of number of items they've asked for. So for example, client A, we kind of just show they had one request this month, but it was a large amount of effort. Mm-hmm. And client B has had 10 requests, but they're all been small little things. And there's no right or wrong answer to that. It's just informational to, informational to know this client's eating up a lot of our time, whether, you know, just based on the level of effort involved of the things that we had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way to use effort without which is completely unrelated to, you know, you know, hitting the team over the head of, uh, based on their velocity. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I mean, I've done that. No, sorry, Kate. No, I'm just going to say Ryan and I've talked several times about weaponizing metrics and, and, and they're, if they're used for the wrong thing. And then, I mean, that's the thing when a team is doing relative sizing, we're saying, okay, you're looking at the overall complexity. You're not just looking at how long it's going to take. You're looking at, is it in a bad area of code? Is it something nobody knows anything about? And we're going to have the higher um, relative sizing. But it is very subjective. And I mean, despite, I mean, when I'm working with clients, the same as you, I mean, I'll say, well, this is a good metric for the team. It's for the team to know how much work to pull into the sprint. It's for the product owner to know, can they plan the upcoming release? Um, But I, I mean, so many clients will say, well, where's the conversion formula back into ours? And I'm sort of, 
we were bad at estimating in hours originally. So why would we convert points relative sizing that works back to something that doesn't work? Yeah, and that's true because I um because they usually when they want to convert to hours, it's because they don't know how to calculate velocity uh, mm -hmm. with the relative sizing. And one example I like to use is like if you had a parking lot of cars you had to wash. Um, and let's say I'm not asking you how long does it take you to wash each car because whatever mm -hmm. you tell me to take you to wash all these cars, whatever you tell me, it's going to be completely off anyway. Mm -hmm. um, typically, as humans, we we're bad at time-based estimating when it's a large amount of, of work. Uh, we're good at it when it's small. But if you have a parking lot full of cars, and and what I want to know is this car the same amount of work as that car, right? Mm -hmm. Each other. And what about this van? Oh, the van maybe is two times more work than a car. Okay, what mm -hmm. about this bus? Oh, that bus is maybe four times more work than the car. And mm -hmm. so, because once you have that proper relative sizing, then you can figure out, okay, you can wash about 10 cars in a day or eight cars in, you know, a van or, mm -hmm. you know, four cars, a bus, and mm -hmm. uh, and you can calculate that velocity then. So a lot of times when people are trying to convert to hours, it's, um, it's I think it's a lack of understanding of, of how relative sizing works or the team is not relative, properly relative sizing. They're taking a guess like, oh, it's maybe about a day's worth of work. So we give it a one. And they've just completely invalidated the whole relative sizing aspect of it. I mean, yeah. I think we've probably all been there where somebody comes to us and goes, okay, you can tell me. Like, what do the points, what are the number of hours at the point? Like what a five is really what, like two and a half days. And it's just like, it's not really how it works. Yeah. yeah. You know, if that's what your team wants to try and do, okay but that's not how it works yeah. we've all been asked that question you can yeah. give me the decoder ring that'll that's tell right. me yeah. to unlock these hours and i always say to people like i was a front-end developer been a front-end developer for 25 years like you know once upon a time before you know it would like read the request get the code start to do the work test my code check it in you know that's my level of that's my one you know, and I would just find that base thing and start from there. But that people are like, but I don't know what our base thing is. It's like, well, that's what you have to figure out as a team. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, so I like, I really love the car, car washing analogy. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. I, I, lately, I've been coming across some better ones for sizing. And because I, 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 I'm working with a bunch of teams that are really kind of struggling with it. Yeah. But we want to get back to this. We want to get back to this. I, I'd like to get back to this concept of hours weaponizing our metrics, but I want to make the organization happy. I want them to be able to generate, uh, whether it's a slide or two in their PowerPoint deck for their you know, meeting at the end of the month so that they can say the teams are on track. Like yeah. what can we give them that we, we all know what these orgs are like because they're all the same org. Like they want to put things into a pretty, pretty chart what can we really give them that isn't going to make our teams crazy and it isn't going to take spend you know have some scrum master spend five hours generating this report like what can we we give them that that will make them happy do you do you have a, a magic metric um i think of one thing that i'm, I'm trying to think if there's a if there's a a problem in this metric so feel free to poke hole in it um is one i like one thing that I would provide is percentage of technical debt in the product backlog, because in the sense we can at least track, is it getting worse or is it getting better staying about the same? That's one thing I like to track in the sense of 
you know, if we're, if we're constantly having issues and bugs coming in, or there's a lot of tech debt being added, that's something I think you could track and would be beneficial to the, for the team to know, and maybe the organization to know again, could it be used in a negative way? Possibly you guys suck or awful, all these bugs coming in or right. Is there a process improvement we could uh, do there? So percentage of technical debt in the backlog, which would be really just be the number of non feature requests you have probably right divided by the total or something along mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Another one I like is, uh, is, is, overtime hours or you know, is the team delivering more, but are they running themselves into the ground uh, doing it? Right. So I'm hoping for a normal work-life balance, a normal 40 hour week, but mm-hmm. something I might want to track is, Hey, the team is now doing 60 hours a sprint or a week. And that's, that's untenable for a long period of time. So that's something I'd want to know. Those are two that come off the top of my head. Yeah, and another one that I sometimes use um, is the release burn-up chart. Um, And I'm always nervous when I hear burn charts because I'm not talking about a sprint burn-down because to me, that is the team's tool. Nobody else should be looking at it. That is the team, are we on track to get done by the end of the sprint? But if we have the overall backlog that we have planned for the upcoming release, how are we tracking against it? What's our average line looking at? Where are we best case? Where are we worst case? Are we going to deliver the the things we said we would when we said we would? And if not, what's the gap? What, What are we pushing to a future release? So I think some form of cumulative flow or release burn up chart tends to to work with a, with a lot of organizations to let them relax um, as long as it does not take them into the point discussion because I'm always wanting to keep stakeholders and customers and executives away from points. Points is the team's tool. Nobody other than the team and the product owner should care about points. Yeah. And along those lines to your point, Kate, with the release burnout is, um, you know, as, as you said that, maybe think of something else that we track again, we're using velocity ca- to calculate this, but like you said, we don't. We're not sharing that number. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is the once we can relatively size an item, uh, we're looking at the feedback given, and we're putting a dollar per point, in essence, on the relative size, the cost of it. Because usually, if we do a a price a, um, a contract with a client, usually what we'll say is something like, "Hey, you're going to spend." $20,000 a sprint. That's your cost of mm-hmm. your sprint. And based on that and the velocity, we can figure out dollar per point. And then what I like to do is say this feedback thing that you asked for is relatively roughly around 10 grand, right? It's roughly mm-hmm. around the half of the sprint. Is that worth it to you? Um, and yeah. that's something we track. It's like the cost per backlog, not the exact cost, but a relative cost to each feedback item. Because what mm-hmm. that allows us to do is look at the overall, maybe your budget was 300000 um, we have that roughly in the product backlog to start, but based on the feedback, you've added another 50 grand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that might be worth tracking as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I like that uh-huh. one. Yeah. As long as it's not, and I've seen it, I, I like, I like it when I've seen it done well, but when we get a cost per story point per developer, um, sort of that that's just horrible. Well, how come this developer is much more productive than that developer? And I'm sort of yeah, if, that down. There's no way, yeah. There's no, yeah. We don't have one team, it's not per, it's not by the person. Yeah. yeah. Team. Yeah, and I it's a team sport. 
it is a team sport. And I've, I've used that, Fred, similar to you for when I'm working with a group of stakeholders and they're okay, well, we've got a fixed budget. This is roughly the cost per story point. So the team has the capacity of X number of, of dollars for the sprint. What are you putting in there? You're, 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 you can't all have everything. So here's your budget. Yeah. You've got to work within the budget. Yeah, I had a client from New York. We were building a complex retail app for them, both web-based and mobile-based, um, had two different interfaces. And I remember they asked for uh, a floating wizard to go around and just sprinkle like magic dust on things. And I remember thinking in my head, like, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. But, okay. you know, I'm, I'm built in face was like, all right, you want a floating wizard? Let me write that down. And I remember we put it in the product backlog and the team sized it. And the relative cost was something like $22,000 to do this floating wizard. Mm -hmm. And in the root cause there was that, we, you know, we got to the why, like they really wanted gamification. They really wanted people to, you know, they were kind of, they were trying to solve the problem of what they thought was to bring people in. But every time that backlog guy would float up the list, they would realize, oh, uh, you know, let's move it back down. There's more important things to work on. And it would keep coming back up and they're like, all right, let's move that back down. And we never had to do... Uh, the floating wizard, right? And if we had done that in a traditional project, mm -hmm. we would have had to deliver the floating wizard, right? Because we would have had to stick to the full list of things to complete. But um, yeah. that's something relative sizing and the the the, the effort or cost helped with that. Yeah. And what I really love about that stuff, though, is because I, I I was working for an organization, we had like forty mid-sized e-commerce clients. You'd know the names mm -hmm. that were, you know, those just, just we did it and they outsourced their entire internet business to us. We had the warehouse, so we did the shipping and the returns. We did the website. If you called the customer helpline, it was my company. We did all this stuff. And so I had a pod of like 20 of these clients and it was really up to the product people to determine who was getting what resources sprint to sprint. It was really up to them to say, you know what? Because we took a cut of their online sales. You know what? Yeah. We are going to do a full rebuild of customer or, or partner X. You know, partner Y doesn't make us a ton of money. They can wait. But that wasn't my decision. That was their decision based upon real dollars and what we wanted to put into our effort. And I was perfectly fine with that because you know, customer Y might have had 20 little things that we could bust out in a day. But if the business didn't want to invest in that, that's fine with me. You guys need to tell me where you want us to invest our time and energy. I'm just saying we've sized this stuff out. Here's what we can take in. You tell me what you want me to do because that's not my job. Yeah. So let's close out. I was going to say, say, Fred, let's close out this session and head back to you to cl close out the session. F final thoughts on metrics. The biggest thing about metrics to remember for everyone to always remember is that metrics, one is they're always, you're always going to see them in a bias light. You will always see what you want to see. Um, so mm. it's very careful. And when you measure something and the biggest thing I'd say is to remember is that you will always get what you measure. Uh, your yeah. team's behavior will adjust based on exactly what you're measuring. So be careful what you measure. You will get that. If you want more tasks getting done, I will take that big task and break into five smaller tasks. If you want me to be in my seat for 40 hours a week, I will sit there watching TikTok or Facebook videos the last half day of Friday. But hey, I met your measurement, right? So yeah. always be careful what you measure. You will get what you measure. So measure things that you really want. I want happy customers, satisfied customers. I want a working product. Yeah. 
Great. Thank you, Fred. And I, I think Goodhart's law, I like the adage from Goodhart's law, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. That's right. Yes. Perfect. Can't add to it. Fred, we appreciate you being here today and a really great discussion and some really great observations. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You will find us on Twitter at Arclight Agile. You will also find us on LinkedIn at forward slash Arclight Agile. So share your thoughts with us on this episode and send us any topics you'd like us to discuss in the future.